This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Equity Mates, episode 29, back again. Excited to be here as always. Um, joined with, with my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going, mate? I'm very good, Bryce. How are you? Good, good. It's been a busy week up here in Sydney. Uh, how's it been down in Melbourne? Yeah, it's been very good. Uh, capped off by uh, our podcast recently being named number three on our podcast to listen to by Spaceship Super. Yeah, very exciting. Yeah, that was a that was a good uh, a good way to lead into the week. Certainly, it's uh, that that was exciting news. Second episode for the year, so we thought we'd go back to basics this time and do a basics 101, which we haven't visited properly in a while. So we're going to be discussing all things to do with dividends, um, and then we'll finish off with some stocks on our radar. I've got something to bring to the table and Ren, you've got something to bring to the table, I'm sure. So as always, let's get stuck in with what we've learned for the week. Do you want to take it away, Ren? So one thing uh, that I read in Equity Mates Thought Starters, always good to give that a quick plug, was about Uber and the fall of the Uber CEO, Travis Kalanick. Now, the reason I'm bringing this to the table is uh, Uber was considered one of the hottest potential IPOs of 2018. Now, for those who aren't sure uh, what an IPO is, it's an initial public offering, and it's when a company first goes onto the public markets, and everyday investors like you and I get a chance to buy some of their shares. So Uber, obviously everyone knows who they are and what they do. Far less people would know about the the pretty crazy behind-the-scenes story that led to Travis Kalanick basically being kicked out of his the company that he started. So if people don't subscribe to Thought Starters, they should definitely um, get on it because the story is pretty crazy. It involves Travis being his own worst enemy and just running the company a bit, a bit like a dictator, uh, and then half. Uh, yeah, half dictator, half frat boy, I guess, is probably the best way to describe some of his behavior. Yeah, it's a fascinating story. Uh, just to take a quote from it, and this is, quote, according to a person who was there, he literally got down on his hands and knees and began squirming on the floor. This is bad, he muttered. I'm terrible. It's a good cliffhanger. Why Why was he on the floor? Why, would, why did he say he was terrible? <laughs> probably not going to be uh, an IPO in 2018 because of the change in leadership. The new CEO. CEO has admitted that they have a lot of making up to do, I guess. They need to regain the public's trust. So probably going to look more like 2019 or 2020 for uh, the Uber IPO. It's definitely one to watch because there's probably no bigger name currently uh, being talked about going onto the share market than Uber. Yeah. Will you invest? No. <laughs> I, I heard, I can't remember where I heard it, but... Someone said that Uber is the world's biggest wealth distribution scheme. All it does is take money from wealthy investors and distributes it to, you know, everyday folk in subsidized transport because Uber lose money on every fare. So essentially these, you know, billionaire and millionaire investors are subsidizing our cheaper taxi trips. Don't don't get me wrong. 
unbelievable growth story, unbelievable network effects. They are at the point where they have a lot of pricing power. But what we saw in 2017 was Uber, and this is part of the story with Travis Kalanick, is Uber pissed off a lot of people and Lyft, Uber's rival in the United States, very quickly capitalized on that. Uh, and took uh, a lot of riders and drivers away from Uber. So they've built an incredible business with a lot of users and a lot of drivers, but when it's just as easy for a driver to be an Uber driver and a Lyft driver, which when I was in the States, a lot of drivers are, they, they use both apps, and it's just as easy for us as consumers to have both apps on our phone and to use one over the other. It's tough to, to have a long-lasting moat if you're if you're losing the the network mm. that you've built up, mm. what about what about you? Would you invest? I don't think so. I would tend to agree with everything you've just said. I think that I mean I use it though. That's the thing. That's so good. It's so simple. It's one of those things that whilst competitors might be there, yeah, I don't know. But the answer would be no. Uh, Uber's burn rate. So the amount of money they're spending in a year, 2017, four billion dollars. So so they're wow. they're losing four. They lost four billion dollars in uh, 2017. And someone's got to be paying for that, and that would be the investors. So I don't want to be that person yeah, at this yeah. stage. But hey, what do we know? <laughs> They're probably going to be the probably going to nail self-driving cars. No, 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 <laughs> IPO, and then just be like the next Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> All right. Anyway, what did you learn? Well, from IPOs to ICOs, I well today found out uh, that a Cryptocurrency exchange in Korea or Japan, sorry, I can't remember off the top of my head, but was hacked the other day and roughly $617 million was stolen uh, by hackers and thieves. Uh, and that was everyone's hard-earned cryptocurrency. So check your crypto wallets, everyone. Could, could be you, you, but no, no, I'm not, I'm not off- offshore cryptoing. <laughs> but a little question I want to see. So... This is uh, to do with ICOs and Ernst & Young decided that they would um, do some analysis on 370 ICOs and for those that are unaware, ICOs are um, initial coin offerings and they're much like an IPO uh, where a crypto or a, a digital um, firm offers up some of their uh, tokens or cryptocurrency to buy. And so 372 were analysed by Ernst and Young. Um, of that 372, sorry, that 372 was worth $3.7 billion total in raised um, capital. They wanted to know of that how much was stolen by hackers. So, what percentage or in dollar terms do you reckon was stolen um, by hackers or by the actual firms themselves doing the ICOs? <laughs> Um, and in most cases, it was the firms and via phishing, PH phishing. Um, what do you think was so the of a total of $3.7 billion? Yeah. So, one percent of that is $37 million. Yeah, That's still so much money. <laughs> All right, I'll, yeah. I'll say three percent, about a hundred million dollars, three percent. Yeah. $100 million. So $3.7 billion was raised over 370 ICOs, 72 ICOs, and just on $400 million Jesus. was stolen. So, so 10, 10%. God. 
So phishing was the most widely used hacking technique for ICOs, uh, with hackers stealing up to 1.5 million in ICO proceeds per month, according to... Wait, how much per month? 1.5 million. Jeez, we should become hackers. So, <laughs> I know. So less than 25% of ICOs reached their target um, late last year, um, in 2017, um, whereas midway through 2017, 90% were hitting target so there's a lot less ICO happening at the moment but yeah they found that a lot of it was just um, dodgy behavior from those that were actually conducting the ICO themselves. So hold on go back to that so you said at the end of last year 90% of these ICOs were fully subscribed so no in, in June, June in June last year it was 90% so that means if yeah. a company is doing an ICO and they want a hundred million dollars or whatever they were asking for, 90% of the time they would get that ask. And then what was yep. the other one? It was 20... 25% by November. So in five months, it dropped from 90% to 25%. Yeah. What, okay, so what do, does it say what the reason for that is? Or does anyone know what the reason for that is? No, I think they're just indicating that it was losing steam. People were losing confidence and also transparency in the ICO process, I guess. And as more came to market, they became less credible in the eyes of people and less FOMO um, was there to drive people to actually subscribing these Yeah, because you could say that it or you know, at the peak of the bubble, all of the good ideas were exhausted very quickly or a lot of the immediately accessible good ideas were. And so then the quality of the ICOs tailed off. Or you, or you could just, exactly, or alternatively, yeah. it could be that the amount of investors super into crypto and willing to invest in these ICOs, you know, it, it got past a, like a saturation point and by, you know, October, November, most of the these investors were fully invested in earlier ICOs. Yeah. It's interesting. But does that mean we've, we've passed peak crypto? That's what this article is. Well, we've passed peak crypto ICO. That's what this article is alluding to. But um, who knows what's to come because we've done this three or four years ago as well. You know, had the big ICO phase, not to this extent, obviously. But um, and then it chills off, and then bang, something else happens. So yeah, watch this space. But even even if ICOs tail off, more and more companies are using blockchain. Though I was reading about Walmart is doing all these trials with blockchain. So even if, you know, the, the crazy coins like Banana Coin and whatever else is out there stop being used, I think the, the technology is definitely catching on. So, Money for Nothing. That rings it a bell, does. doesn't it, Ryan? Your favourite song, I think. The... <laughs> Correct. Akiraka? Dice Dice Dice. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Close. Close. I'm surprised you actually picked that What up. do you mean? Money for Nothing, a.k.a. No, not Akadaka. (laughs) (laughs) Dire Straits, name of the song, but also what many investors feel when they talk about dividends. So let's go into a bit of a basics 101. We haven't, uh, as we said at the start of the show, done a basics 101 for a while now. And we thought it'd be a good opportunity to go back to our roots because we understand that a lot of you guys get a lot out of this. And obviously so do we, because it's a good opportunity for us to refresh on a number of important things to do with the basics of investing. So we thought today would be a great opportunity to talk about dividends, what they are, and more importantly, how they can help 
contribute to your investing portfolio and also the way that you think about uh, distributing your capital when it comes to investing in stocks. If you want to jump into this realm. Investing 101, what, yes. why do we invest? To, to make money. And there are two ways that we can make money from stocks. The, the main one that everyone yeah. talks about is uh, the share price going up. So you buy a stock of Amazon and it goes from 100 bucks to 1000 bucks. You've made $900. Great. But there's another way that you can make money from stocks. And this is what we're talking about today. And it's, it's dividends. And that dividends are income distributed to uh, shareholders uh, out of the net profits from a co- uh, publicly listed company. Yeah, so it's a cash payment from yeah. earnings paid to those who are, or those eligible shareholders. And it's usually quite paid anywhere between annually to every six months to quarterly. Um, and it gets paid straight into your bank account. The, the way to conceptualize this is uh, when we talk about buying a share, we always talk about um, you, you become a part owner of that company. And so as the company does whatever it does, sells stuff, uh, offers services, you know, whatever it does, it, it makes money and it makes profit on whatever money it's making. And then you as the business owner are entitled to some of that profit. So let's say uh, a business makes a million dollars in profit, uh, decides to keep 500000 of it for its operations, and then there's a 500000 that it decides to give to the owners of the business. If you own one of the 500,000 shares out there, then you will be paid a $1 dividend as your share of the, um, the profits of the company. Yeah. So historically, you know, going back into the 20th century, dividend stocks were actually a major focus for investors because of this reason, because they generate a consistent recurring income. Um, and more often than not, you know, as people got closer to retirement age, these are the sorts of stocks, often blue chip stocks that super funds and your mum and dad look to buy because they're not necessarily after the capital growth that you talked about at the start, Ren, which is one way to make money with stocks, but they're more looking for the income that that stock provides. And so um, obviously the more shares you buy, as you just saying there, you're a part owner, the more shares you buy in the company, the more you're going to get paid out. Um so it's interesting to note that, you know, times have changed and as everything, there's a business cycle and an economic cycle and the way that investors invest um, also changes. And so we're now kind of seeing, especially in the Australian market over the last 12, especially six months, a big push towards the small ordinary companies um, because as you said at the start, Ren, they're after capital growth, no longer companies that are paying out uh, dividends because um, in times like this where valuations and stuff are so high on companies, um, they're looking for that stronger capital growth um, to sort of increase their wealth rather than relying solely on dividends. So Maybe maybe let's explain that and unpack that a bit further. So okay. the business cycle is, uh, you know, you have uh, a recession and investors flee to safer assets so uh for for stocks and companies that's generally the you know the blue chip the super safe companies you know your banks uh you know even things like your telstra uh your your infrastructure companies like transurban and sydney airport just just companies that are very safe very secure make consistent profits every year um, and they're generally the companies that pay a high dividend 
But then as uh, the business cycle changes and you go out of a recession and into a growth phase of the business cycle, what investors start to see is that smaller companies uh, seem to grow a lot. Um, and then there's a little bit of FOMO, I guess, and investors leave the the safe dividend-paying companies towards the more faster-growing companies. Uh, and then as the market gets hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter and grows and grows, which is the phase we're in now, um, and what we've been in for, I guess, the last year, we've there's been a, a very strong growth phase. And then eventually the market gets too hot or something happens and then market corrects and everyone freaks out and goes back to the super safe dividend paying stocks. What I want to point out there as well, I don't think we mentioned it, but um, not all companies pay a dividend and you will find that the companies that don't pay a dividend are usually in their own growth phase of the business cycle. So there are the young companies that are rather than paying out their profit and earnings to their shareholders, they are withholding that and reinvesting it back into the business so that they can grow at a much quicker rate and use that capital more effectively than giving it out to their uh, shareholders. Now, obviously, shareholders are fully aware of the fact that this is the case when they're investing and I'm probably more than happy for uh, the company to do so because they will be wanting the company to grow and give them some capital gains. And obviously, at some point, they will expect to see the money that they have invested be returned in the form of um, dividends. So to give you an example, Amazon, which you would probably be surprised still to this day, doesn't pay a dividend. And I'm not sure about Facebook. I'm pretty sure it doesn't no, either. I don't think so. Um, you would think that both of them are in positions to certainly pay dividends because they have such high earnings, but they still firmly believe that they're in that tech sector and they're still in the, I guess, in the growth phase of their business. They don't feel that they have hit maturity yet. And so they haven't been paying their shareholders dividends, although their shareholders have been rewarded handsomely with capital growth. So you do hear some calls from investors for them to start paying dividends, but um, they're not. So those are probably two more outlying examples, but a lot of the smaller companies don't pay dividends. It's the ones that, as you said, run, you know, Sydney Airport and Woolworths and BHP, those that are there, they're not going to blow up, they're not going to fail, and they're the ones rewarding their um, shareholders with dividends. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. We should also uh, talk about uh, Australia versus the rest of the world, I guess, because uh, Australian investors love dividends. <laughs> they love, they love it. <laughs> the average of the S&P 500, so that's the 500 biggest companies uh, publicly traded in America, 
the average dividend is 2%. Um, so, and the, and the way that dividend yield is calculated is uh, dividend divided by share price as a percentage. So if I my share price is $100 and I pay a dividend of $2 per share, uh, my dividend yield is 2%. So in America, the average of the big companies over there is 2%. Uh, in Australia, the top 200 companies in Australia, the average is 4.7% without franking credits, which is something we'll touch on later. But yeah, so it's, it's more than double America, uh, the amount that Australian companies pay in dividend, which, which is great for Australian investors. You know, it means that every half year you can expect uh, a decent chunk of change coming in from your, you know, this, the big companies that you own. But what it means is every dollar that you you as a company pay out to your shareholders is a dollar you can't invest in, uh, you know, getting uh, becoming more efficient in your operations, buying more product, employing more people, uh, expanding to new markets or expanding your product range. There's an there's an opportunity cost, and there's definitely there's definitely the fair share of criticism um, Australian companies, um, and there's also a fair share of criticism levelled at Australian investors for being too demanding with the amount of dividends they get. Because what you'll find is once a company is consistent consistently paying a certain percentage out as a dividend, investors get very uh, what's the word De- demanding, I guess. Attached. Uh, yeah, attached yeah, to the idea of it. Yeah, and if it falls, they um, they're not very happy. So that that's maybe part of the reason why Telstra is a great example of this at the moment. So Telstra is consistently one of the highest dividend payers in Australia, and I mean it made sense for a long time. It was essentially a monopoly in telecommunications, so it was making heaps of money. It had no competition, so it could just pay its investors high dividends every half year. But what's happened is that you know, uh, competition has ramped up uh, both in uh, with like, you know, Optus, Vodafone, all of that in the telco space. But then now uh, with NBN coming in on the uh, broadband side of it, um, Telstra's really struggling to for an identity and it's struggling to compete, but it's paying out, you know, yeah, a very high percentage of its profits, at least compared to its competitors as a dividend. And it means that then it can't invest that that money in developing new technology or becoming more competitive or, you know, expanding to Asian markets or whatever else uh, they might mm. want to do. And the issue was that they decided to cut their dividend payment significantly what last reporting that they did uh, because they realised that they need to use that money for better purposes, as you just said, when to probably at least position themselves a bit better against their competition. But because so many people have come to rely on Telstra as this high-paying dividend stock, whilst they dropped their dividend to still what would be a reasonable return, um, their share price got absolutely slammed because investors were so attached to the idea that they were once getting X amount and now they're getting Y, um, they sold off quite drastically, uh, which is a bit ridiculous, but just goes to show their attach- attachment to this sort of stuff. We're just we're too fussy, I think, in Australia. Yeah. yeah. So you you mentioned yield there, and it's a percentage, um, but it's it's good to note that you can find what a company is going to pay in dividends. Well, uh, at least what they paid previous, you can see the historical paint and make a reasonable judgment as to what it's going to be going forward, just like you would find any other financial information on the stock through the ASX or through Google Finance. It's it's always there. It's called the DPS, Dividend Per Share. 
and it will give it to you as a dollar value. The, the really good thing is companies actually announce their dividend and then if you're if you want to get that dividend, you have an opportunity to buy the stock and then you will see in um, on websites on companies reports there's a uh, it's an ex dividend date is what it will be labeled as and that's like the cutoff date. So if you're a shareholder before uh, that date, then you get the dividend. So there you know if Telstra says they're going to pay a crazy one-off dividend of $100 a share. You can check what the ex-dividend date is because, I mean, maybe for something crazy like that, they will backdate it to the when the announcement was or before the announcement. But a lot of times you have an opportunity to buy the share after the dividend has been announced. Um, so that's always something to keep an eye on. And so two, point, two points on that. You'll often find that once the ex-dividend date occurs uh, and ticks over, you'll actually see the price of that share drop in value. And that's because the share is readjusted to take off the price of the dividend. So um, for example, I'm pretty sure Microsoft um, a couple of years ago, its dividend was about $3 and it was trading around 29. So but yeah, one of those big companies, it's trading around $29, X dividend came and dropped $3 to 27. So that's something to keep in mind if you see your, your stock drop significantly or not so significantly on X dividend date, then that's that's why I don't don't freak out. It'll probably bounce back the next day when investors readjust because they're getting in at a good price. So that's one thing to note. And second thing to note is that your dividend yield actually changes based on the price of the stock. Obviously, as Rena said, your yield is divided by the, the, the dividend divided by the share price um, as a percentage. And so obviously, if the share price goes up or down, then that percentage is going to change. So don't think that if one day you see the dividend yield is 12%, that that's what it's going to be when you get paid out and add that into your calculations or your humor or whatever. So <laughs> um, just keep that in mind that your yield will change based on the share price, but the actual dividend payment in dollar terms that the company has said shouldn't change unless they announce it at their next um profit upgrade or downgrade. Yeah, definitely. And it, it's probably also worth thinking that the yield is based on the current price, but your personal yield is actually based on the price that you paid. So, you know, if you bought a share at $10 and then it went on a crazy run and it's now $100 and then it's paying $10 a share as a dividend. That'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be unreal. You'd, You'd be loving life. <laughs> then, you know, your, uh, the company's uh, dividend yield is 10% because it's paying a dividend of $10 and its share price is $100. But you bought the share at $10. So your dividend yield is actually 100%. <laughs> which is the dream. <laughs> Yeah, but so you, you get some investors will get in that situation. Uh, a classic example is people say Warren Buffett will never sell Coca Cola. Well, firstly, because of uh, the cap gains, um, but then also because you know what he bought it at and the dividend he's getting, like his, his yield is great. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, quick question um, What do you do with your dividends when they're paid? Do you get them put into a bank account or do you get them reinvested? So, uh, that's probably something, yeah. So, not all companies offer reinvestment. I What is reinvestment? Okay. So, when you get paid your dividend, you can either just get it in cash uh, and they'll put it in your bank account. Sometimes they send you a check, which is really annoying because... So annoying. <laughs> Who has the time to go to a bank and deposit no a check? Way. 
for like 30 bucks as well. Like, yeah, I, <laughs> I think I have one sitting around here and I see it occasionally, but it's just like, oh, I think it's like $3 or something. That's probably, I think it's even less than that. It's just like, it's not worth my time. <laughs> um, so yeah, so you can get it in cash uh, or your other option is some companies let you put that dividend back into more stock. Uh, so you... Uh, it can be reinvested into shares in the company and yeah. generally they'll give you a lower share price than what's on the open market. So what's on the share market at that moment. So it's a good opportunity if you if you really like the company that you're invested in, uh, it's a good opportunity to get a bit more stock in that company. And I strongly recommend, well, I, I think that it's a really good idea to do that at this age, especially because, you know, the money that you'd be receiving in dividends, if you're relying on that to actually live, then you shouldn't be investing in the first place. <laughs> um, and we're not at retirement age where we needed income and the pension to keep us going. So uh, reinvesting is just like another form of compound interest. And as we've said many times on this show, compound interest is king. And before you know it, if you're reinvesting every six months when you get paid that uh, in, uh, dividend and you won't even know that it happens. You just get a letter or an email saying that this is how many shares uh, the company has bought on your behalf with the dividends that you were entitled to. Uh, before you know, you will be you know, adding more and more and more shares to your portfolio and they in turn generate more and more dividends. So um, it's a really good opportunity and way to grow your wealth long-term without really having to do it. You just click the reinvestment button, bang, see you later. Yeah, I... I agree, but only if it's a company that you like. Of course, but can I add to that? If yeah, it's yeah. not, if it's not a company you like, then ensure that the money that you are paid in dividends somehow ends up back in stocks. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. So, yeah, uh, but it, so even broader than that, it may not be that you you might like the company, but you might be new to investing and you might want to diversify or you might have another really good idea that you want some money for. I, th- I think the general rule is anything you get paid in, div- in dividends, reinvest it some way. The easiest way to reinvest it is to um, automatically get your dividends reinvested into the company. Don't spend it on, you know, a night yeah. out or... <laughs> uh, Stupid things. Yeah, because... Yeah. That, you will I mean, regret it. Yeah, like you're... You won't regret it. It's just a lost opportunity. Yeah, like the money that you put into the share market, it should be like set and forget money. It should be money that you don't touch. Um, and in the same way that when you make a capital gain on a share, when the share goes up in price, you don't you know sell it and take the profit and spend it. Similarly, when you get a dividend, you shouldn't spend it. You should find a way to put it back into the market or put it back into a market, um, whatever that is. Especially when this is guaranteed payment as well, like the company is saying, they're going to give you our money. They're not guaranteeing that the price is going up, but they're going to guarantee that you get some of their slice of the profit. So, yeah, use it wisely. Yeah, definitely. All right, we, we should um we should tackle franking credits. Now, okay. this is... Um, Frankenstein who? I'm hoping, <laughs> I'm hoping everyone has followed us up to now because from here on in, you're probably not going Hold to. On. Bryce and I were trying to uh, figure out some something to do with frank and credits before we started recording and we got ourselves confused so um, yeah, we'll leave it out it, let, all right let's let's start very uh 
very very high level. Um, yeah, let's stay at that level. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. so uh, franking credits is something that's kind of unique to Australia. Um, yeah. Only Australia, New Zealand, and Malta uh, have this system. Um, and then a couple. There's four countries that have like a partial system, but let's not even worry about that. No. Um, no. So okay. So conceptually. When uh, you're a company and you make a profit, you pay a tax on that profit. Um, the and then the, the company pays a tax on that profit. Yeah. But, but then when the company distributes that money to its shareholders, the shareholders, when they get their dividend, they then are taxed on that dividend. Hang so on the, a second, that's double taxation. Yeah, that's not very good, <laughs> is it? That's unfair. Yeah. So the Australian government, in its all, all of its kindness and wisdom... Um, has come up with a system to ensure that investors don't get double, uh, doubly taxed, don't suffer yeah. double taxation. Yeah, um, that's not that's nice of them. Yeah, thanks, Mel. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so all so how is how is that done? So, when you get paid a dividend, you will get a franking credit with that dividend, and that fr- franking credit uh, is essentially. Uh, a credit for the tax that has been paid on that dividend. Yeah. And then uh, the government, uh, when you do your taxes at the end of the year, you claim that franking credit back to the government uh, and the government will then pay you out uh, what you shouldn't have lost in tax. So, so I think of it like if you're, uh, if you work, you know, a wage job and you get taxed on every, um, on every paycheck. And then at the end of the year, you claim some of that tax back from the government. It's similar just for your investments. Yeah, it's a tax deduction. Now, not all companies have, uh, not all companies pay full franking credits. Um, that's obviously 100% franking. Um, some some companies don't pay franking at all, especially if you're invested overseas, as you said, Ren. Um, but at a very high level, yeah, it's, it's a tax um, component, I guess, that allows the investor at the end of the day to not get doubly stung with um, tax on the end of the day. Yeah. Tell me if this it muddies the waters, but to give a very okay. high-level example, if you're if you, you own a company, it makes $100 in profit, it wants to pay, it it, it gets taxed uh, 30%, so it has $70 left over. It, yeah. it gives you that $70, and then you're taxed on it. Um, so, but then you are given a franking credit for that $30. So at the end of the year, you go to the government and you say, hey, uh, this company was already taxed uh, $30 and here's the yeah. franking credit that proves it. Yeah. And then I was also taxed. Give me back. So give me the back difference. whatever the difference is. So I'm only taxed at my tax rate. Yeah, um, And then the government is like, fair enough. Cool, dude. Here's the money. Good investing. And I, I, yeah, well, well done. Nice one. Um, I guess what the the question should be though at the end of at the end of this discussion on Frankenstein credits. Yeah. Um, does it impact the way that we invest at all? Should it impact? How does it impact? I mean, uh, if if you're asking, am I out there hunting for Franken credits? No. Yeah. Yeah. So um, this is probably more broadly looked at by, as we said at the start of the show, the superannuation funds and, and the mums and dads who have self-managed super funds because they're all about paying as little tax as possible and maximising their returns. And companies that offer 100% franker credit um, are 
more advantageous to them than they are to the likes of you and I, Ren, who aren't going to be jumping to the next tax bracket from our thirty dollar check coming in. From. Oh, we'll see. We'll see how we'll see how well equity mates is going. <laughs> so I think I think what I'm just trying to reiterate at the end of that discussion is that whilst it might has might have seemed a bit confusing, um, that it's not really much of a, a, a huge concern. And it shouldn't be a huge concern and something that you try and delve into or, as you said, try and hunt down franking credit companies um, because at the end of the day, you should be looking at the actual company itself rather than worrying about that stuff. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, good explanation. All right. And I guess uh, (laughs) if that confused anyone... don't don't worry about don't worry about what it is. Just record it, and at the end of the year, put it in your tax return. And yeah. don't don't worry about what it means and why you have it. But just know that it's good to you'll get yeah. money back if you put it in your tax return. <laughs> yeah. Well, these days you probably don't even have to do it. I mean, your tax numbers in with your chest provider, so well, your broker, so the government picks it all up and away you go. Yeah, that's Should true. Yeah. Okay, Ren. Well. Is there anything else you want to add to dividends? I have a couple of dividend stocks off the top of my head. Actually, almost all of them are dividend stocks. Yeah, well, I... Now that I think about it. I, I wanted to ask you a question uh, to start our uh, little stock chat at the end of this episode. Yeah. Which was, uh, in Australia, what company has uh, the highest dividend yield? So you're asking me what company... Um, am I going to get the biggest return from if I was to buy it right now? Yeah. Um, and this is with no filter on your search. Uh, no filter other than Australia. No filter other than Australia. It must pay a dividend. I'm going to go with um, Gem. What? Wait, what, what is that? <laughs> G8 Education. No. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> what is it? Why, wait, hold on. Why did you choose that? Oh, just because I didn't want to blow the surprise and I saw it on, on my list. So. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, any other guesses? No. Okay. So the, I, actually can't, I actually can't remember. The highest dividend paying stock in Australia right now is Retail Food Group. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So what are they paying? Uh, so they're yielding. Uh, their, their share price is two dollars flat, and they're yielding twenty one cent. So they would be paying a forty cent dividend on a two dollar share price. Wow. So you're going to get almost twenty five percent of your money back well, at 20, the next yeah. dividend payment. Twenty percent. Yeah. Twenty percent. Almost twenty percent. So that's a pretty good return on money if you were to think about the equivalent of putting it into a bank account, but. Um, the reason that that yeah, is the case is because <laughs> Retail Food Group has actually been slammed and their share price has significantly fallen over the last, what, six months or so. Yeah, they're down, uh, they're down 69% for the year. There you but, go. But in December, they were uh, $4.40 uh, and now they're trading at $2 wow. flat. Wow, so, so they've gone down over 50%. Yeah, so when you think about it, if their dividend was $0.40, cents, uh, when they were trading in the the mid forties, you know they're yielding eight to eight percent approximately. Yeah, so their yeah. their their yield is a it's high, but it's a lot more in line with uh, with the norm. But now that their share price is tanked, uh, their their yield uh, is a lot higher. Well, that's a really good lesson there. It, I guess it's showing that if you were to search and filter your search based on dividend yield and be like, oh, what's the highest paying dividend yield? I'm getting 
on that, it's important to think about why the yield might be why it is. And in this case, it's because the share itself is not favorable with investors at the moment. So it might have a fantastic dividend yield, but you're quite potentially going to lose another 50% of the money if it continues trading the way it is at the moment. So keep that in mind when looking at dividend yield as well. High dividend yield doesn't always mean a good thing. Yeah, definitely. Mm. All right. Interesting, uh, 20%. Nice one. Um, so you didn't get the answer right, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> Please forgive me. What, what are what are some of the shares that you're looking at? Uh, any particular dividend payers? Uh, no particular dividend payers. I had also done a similar um, scan to you. You beat me to it. Mine was based on companies with a market capitalization over a billion dollars because I guess... Hold on. For all our new listeners, what's market capitalization? Market capitalization is the value of the company at um, its current share price times the number of shares that are available. So the value on the stock exchange. And so I did one that was with a market cap over a billion dollars and a dividend yield of over 5% because um, as we were talking before, it's usually the bigger companies that are paying dividends. So I thought that's what we, that's what we go with. So the number one stock that came up interestingly is Fortescue Metals Group, FMG, uh, Twiggy Forest CEO, and they've got a gross of 12.6%. But just like Retail Food Group, they've also taken a pretty heavy hit on their share price over the last couple of months. So that's probably a major contributor to them. Um, having their gross yield at what it is, they pay 45 cents uh, for every share that you own. So with their share price at $5.09 at the moment, that would be roughly 4%. There you go. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms in terms of investing, I don't really look for dividends. It's um, a bonus for me if they do pay dividends and I always reinvest my dividends. Um, I think there's one stock that I'm not reinvesting my dividends, but that goes straight into an account that is for stocks. And once that account hits a certain level of money, um, I'll just put that back into some other stocks that I'm interested in. So yeah. I don't have any stocks on my radar. Um, do you have any dividend stocks? So there were there were two that I was looking at for a while. Um, they're known as uh, bond proxies. Um, now bonds, and I'm sure we'll do an episode on this at some point, but when you buy a bond, uh, you get paid a an amount every uh, every year or every half year, um, and then you get all your money back at the end when the bond matures. Um, and these two companies are called bond proxies because they have similar characteristics to bonds. They pay a consistent amount out every half year. Um, so the two companies are Sydney Airport, uh, imaginatively named um, because they run the Sydney Airport, <laughs> and then the other one is Transurban. And they run uh, most toll roads in Australia. Um, if you've driven on, uh, you're testing Whatever. it what they're called. Uh, I think, M1, uh, yeah, M5. the M2, the M3. <laughs> one of the M's. Uh, there's one uh, in Melbourne. Uh, I live like really close to it and I can't remember its name. Uh, anyway. Anyway, toll roads, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you got your tag in your car, it beeps, uh, you're paying this company basically. Yeah. Um, so they're both super consistent because airports are very consistent businesses, same as toll roads, you know, uh, very consistent number, uh, uh, consistent traffic or consistent air traffic. Uh, you have a lot of ability to set the price. So... 
obviously, Sydney Airport is the only airport in Sydney. So if you want to fly from Sydney or fly into Sydney, you are a price taker and Sydney Airport are the price maker. Similarly, uh, Transurban, if you want to drive in a, a major city in Sydney uh, and you want to get somewhere quickly, you will pay whatever the toll is. So if inflation goes up, if uh, the cost of labor goes up, if the cost of fuel or whatever uh, they need to run their business goes up, they can increase their price. Yeah. So, so because they, they can set their price like that, it means uh, they have very consistent revenue, quite consistent profit and a very consistent dividend. Both of the companies pay about 5% dividend. So, you know, you buy it and you just, whatever their share price is, they'll just pay you 5% a year, which yeah. is which um, is nice. I mean, better than a bank. Not, nothing to complain about. Yeah, exactly. No. And that's what a lot of people do, as we said many times in this episode, that they often don't buy this with the uh, consideration of making a capital gains on it. They'll just sit, sit their money in there and take the 5% and use that income uh for other things so yeah, yeah. now nice i one. said i said i was looking at them the reason i didn't buy them uh they are both have a lot of debt and yeah. are quite expensive so transurban yeah. is trading at a price to earnings ratio of a hundred whoa yeah and it has uh 13.7 billion dollars in debt and it's making 2.7 billion dollars in revenue a year so seriously uh, highly geared um, and uh, you're paying a lot for its earnings. Um, but the reason you're paying a lot is because everyone just throws some transurban into their portfolio because it's just a consistent dividend payout. It's quite safe. Similarly, Sydney Airport, 40, 45 price to earnings ratio and similarly very, very high levels of debt. So I, I didn't buy either of them, but um, I figured because we're talking dividends, good time to, um, to bring them up. Yeah, nice one. Well, segueing with Transurban, I guess, I'm not sure if, uh, if you're aware, Ren, but we're coming into that time of year again, February, where we start getting interim reports come through from all of our beloved companies. Um, and it kicks off on, I think, the 5th of, this, uh, sorry, 5th of Feb, um, and then we're going to go all through Feb uh, with our companies doing their interim reports. And this is that funny time of year where if expectations are met or exceeded, then we'll often see the share price spike. And if expectations are uh, missed, uh, then we'll often see the share prices fall. So Transurban is actually going to be reporting on the 13th of February. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what their earnings growth is across all of their roads and, and and that sort of stuff but i just thought as always we go through the list and see which companies um are going to you know like perform well and there's the likes of dominoes on the 14th of feb they're always one to watch at reporting time because they're often likely slammed uh interestingly i'm very keen to see how a2 milk goes yeah they are on the 14th of february wednesday valentine's so, day because val they are my love <laughs> <laughs> So it'll be interesting to see that. Um, we're both in that, although I've reduced my exposure to them. Who else do you want to see? Ren? Bellamy's will be an interesting one to see. They're at an all-time high at the moment. Macquarie Atlas Roads, when we were talking about earlier, Ren, they always perform. I'm interested to see how they perform because they're also very transurban. They're on the 28th of February. Macquarie hitting almost $100 again. So it's that time of year again, Ren. Yeah, your favourite time of year. Let's get excited. My favourite time of year. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, let's let's wrap it up. Um, yep. It was uh, a good chance for us to 
refresh on uh, dividends because clearly uh, we had some things to learn as well um, and refresh on and it's uh, always good to go back over these things for our learning and development going forward because you know it's easy to forget the importance of these sorts of things so i hope everyone got something out of that if it was uh difficult to understand then that's um ren's fault um, <laughs> no um yeah i'll cop that <laughs> um but yeah look thanks uh for listening and um we're looking forward to seeing you or being with you again next episode Equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation.